Well, this morning we're continuing our series in Ephesians as we've been working through the past almost six months now, expositing the book of Ephesians. Now, there are times when preaching a certain passage can be a bit intimidating. It may be a difficult passage to interpret, or like this one, it's a passage that hundreds of books have been written about this passage. Thousands of seminars have been taught on this passage, and tens of thousands of messages have been preached by very gifted speakers on this passage. I realize I'm not, I'm definitely not gifted as these authors and speakers who have published things on this message, although I'm pretty sure I'm significantly more gifted athletically than they are. I'm, I'm definitely not, you know, I'm not in their league. And, and so as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, okay, what, as I'm looking at Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, the passage on wives and husbands, I think, what new truth can I share about this message this morning? And then I thought, nothing really. <laughs> um, it, it, there, there's, it's truth. It doesn't change. That's okay because the truth that it does hold is as rich today as when it was first written down. And we can gain much from it. Now this passage is both intensely practical and intensely theological. Paul gives us great practical help in knowing how we're to conduct our marriages, but he also ensures that we anchor our marriages in the deep spiritual truth of the gospel. That's what Paul is after here. And it, it's interesting as I'm studying this passage, I am aware, and there are some passages that do this more than others, that when I'm, I'm studying certain passages, I just become aware of my my own falling short. You know, Marilyn and I have been to literally hundreds of weddings throughout the years. After 34 years of marriage, you go to a lot of weddings. And typically, there aren't too many weddings you go to where you hear the, the wonderful presentation that pastor gives about what it's like to be married and what this new husband's going to do and what this new wife is going to do. And, and you're just kind of feeling, sitting back there thinking, wow, I'm, I don't know if I'm doing that. And uh, gosh, I, got, I, I still have to grow as a husband. And you walk away with a renewed sense of, I want my marriage to be like this. And, and also a, a sense of, you know, I've, I've fallen short in, in some ways. And, and this passage can do the same. And I don't know where your, for those of you who are married, I don't know where your marriages are, are located today. Are they located in a place where... You're experiencing faith and you're experiencing joy and you're experiencing the fruit of a biblical marriage. Or, or maybe your marriage is located in a difficult season right now and you may be struggling with spouses. You may even have gotten to the point where you're just disillusioned, which can happen. Well, let me, let me encourage you that if you are disillusioned, it's because you've been believing in an illusion in the first place. Um, we live in a fallen world, and we are fallen people who have been redeemed by Christ. And in that redemption, 
we have not only been transformed when we came to Christ, but we are being transformed. And in that transformation process, God is helping us to grow and to eradicate the sins that we so are easily entangled with at times. He's helping us to change. He's helping us to, to overcome. Uh, but it's a journey. It's a process. And marriage fits into that. In fact, there's no place, I think, more important to see us experience that as a married couple is in our relationship, husband to wife, wife to husband. But that can be difficult at times. And so this morning, um, as I work through this passage, it is intensely practical. And, and there will be, there will be a, a point towards the end of the message where I will address the practical side. But more importantly, I, I want to address and I want to pull out what I believe is appropriate to this passage, which is exposited properly. But I want to pull out what I think was Paul's primary consideration, which is informing marriage with the good news of the gospel. So let me read the passage, and then we'll pray. Ephesians 5:22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For never, never, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we, we at this moment, as your church, as Grace Church, submit ourselves under the authority of your word. Lord, it is your word that is authoritative. It is your word that is truth. It is your word that is to guide and direct our steps. That it is your word that explains to us and shows us everything that you've given us pertaining to life and godliness. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves under your authority this morning. And we ask that as we study your words, you would bring life to them and to us, that you would bring hope 
to us, that you would bring fresh grace to us, Lord, that you would strengthen us, you would convict us, you would help us to be different because we've encountered the living God through the written word. And Father, help me, help me please to be faithful, help me to stand here not confident in my abilities, but confident in you and your presence. Lord, would you bless your church this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians 5, Paul uses marriage to illustrate the relationship between Christ and the church. And that is rightly taught, it is rightly understood. But more importantly, and it's what I want us to catch today, more importantly, he uses the relationship of Christ and the church to explain the meaning of marriage. There's a, we can be tempted to look at this from a man-centered perspective that we are the ones who are going to reflect Christ and the church. We're going to illustrate this, this relationship of Christ to the church through our marriages, and that's true. But more importantly, what Paul wants us to understand is the meaning of marriage as we view the relationship Christ has to his church. We start with God first, not with us. We start by looking at God and what he is doing in his relationship, Christ in his relationship to the church. Paul wanted the Ephesian church to impact its culture and there was no better place to do this than using the family and using an explanation, the meaning of what it means to be married by looking at Christ and the church. Now in ancient times, the Jewish, Greek, and Roman cultures had a very serious, distorted view of marriage and family life. And we talked about this back in June when we went through and we jumped ahead to Ephesians 6 on Father's Day. And we were talking about the, the Jewish culture they, that, and, and the Roman culture and the Greek culture and how they had really destroyed the idea of family life. And although the, the Jewish culture itself had a biblical view of marriage from, from Genesis, as we read here in Ephesians 5, uh, at the time the letter was written, even the Jewish idea, the Jews who, who held on to the Old Testament, the Jewish idea of marriage was marred by sin and badly undermined. In Jewish law, a woman was not a person. She was chattel. She was a thing to be owned. She had no rights. And as we talked about last month, the, the patria potestis, which simply meant that fathers ruled with an iron fist, well, that applied to wives as well. Husbands ruled their wives with an iron fist. So in the Roman and Greek and Jewish culture, at the time of the writing of Ephesians, this was the norm for the day. Wives were ruled by an iron fist. Wives were no more than possessions to be owned by their husbands. 
Even in the Jewish culture, a husband could divorce his wife if he didn't like what she made for dinner. It was even worse for Greek and Roman women. Wives just existed to bear children and do household chores. Men found their physical and personal companionship outside of marriage. In fact, infidelity was considered a virtue in this day. And it's against this background that Paul writes these words to a new group of people, to a church, a people who have been called out of an Ephesian culture that was decadent, that was dying, and he has called this new family, this new church, to something radically different. Marriage wasn't a new idea, but the way you conducted marriage was radical. It was different. And he does it by connecting husband and wife to their new life in Christ. He does it by reminding them and showing them the gospel, the good news. James Boyce said this, said when Paul wrote this most lovely passage, he was not simply restating the view that every man held. He was calling men and women to a new fidelity, a new purity, a new fellowship in married life. It is the simple fact of history that no one in this world, with the single exception of children, owes more to Christ than women. It is impossible to exaggerate the cleansing effect that Christianity had on ordinary, everyday home life in the ancient world. Jesus Christ invaded the home because he invaded the heart and he changed the heart. And as we sit here today, as we gather together as a church today, we're in the same place. We came out of a culture that was marred by sin. We came out of a culture that was rebellious to God. We came out of a culture that hated God. And we have had Christ invade our hearts. He has invaded our lives. And he has invaded our marriage and wants to invade our marriages today, wherever they are. The gospel transforms whatever it touches. And it transformed the family life of the Ephesian church. And this transformation also is meant to have a profound effect effect on my marriage, your marriage, practically and theologically. So here's my proposition today. When we understand the importance of the gospel in our marriages, we can then understand the important role our marriages play in practically displaying the gospel. When we understand the importance of the gospel in our marriages. Then we'll be able to understand the important role our marriages display, play in displaying that gospel. The gospel is, again, I, I, I've said it before and, and I don't mind repeating it, that we use the word gospel all the time. We are very... And that's good. That's great. I'm so grateful that that we're so connected to the gospel. But it's it's so easy to, I think, to, when we use the word gospel, to 
nod and give assent and say, yeah, yeah, the gospel. And we, we know the gospel. But the power and the efficacy and the transformation that it has brought about, the change that it's brought about, just can remain a distant, yeah, that's what happened to me, not what's happening to me now. And that is what the gospel wants to do, does do. It changes us now. It's powerful now. And it informs and influences our marriages now. Our relationships now. And we'll see this in Paul. What does the gospel tell me about my marriage? That's the question I want to ask this morning. What does the gospel tell me about my marriage? What does the gospel tell you about your marriage? Two things this morning. It tells me that God is at work in my marriage. And it tells me that my marriage can change. But it means there's work that I do. Let's look at the first one. God is at work. He is is at work sustaining and blessing what he created. Marriage is not an afterthought to God. Look at verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Where is Paul quoting that from? Genesis 2, 24. Paul is going back to the very beginning. He's going back to the the creation of the world, the creation of mankind. And he's quoting this passage and he's saying, look, marriage is not an afterthought to God. It was always in the plan of God. Remember in Ephesians 1, chapter verse 4, we read, As we are studying, he said, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. Not only were you chosen before the foundation of the world, not only were you predestined to be in a relationship with Christ, so was your marriage. The person that you are married to was chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Now that is a mystery that I cannot explain. That is definitely a mystery. And and I'm sure it's even a greater mystery because when Meryl and I were dating, I broke up with her. And I... But God wasn't worried. It wasn't God, oh, no, he's messing up my foundational plans. What? No. And I don't know of too many marriages where at times husband and wife have thought, I wonder if I married the right person. And you may be feeling that right now. You may be thinking, I'm not sure I married the right person. Oh, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Because God had marriage in his mind, in his plan from before the foundation of the world. It was not an afterthought. It's a wonderful institution created by him for the good of all mankind. Marriage is to do good, not just to us personally, but to our society around us. And all of, the, of all the things, of all the things God could have used to practically illustrate the gospel and Christ's relationship with the church, he chooses marriage as a model. 
that alone is a mystery to me. I, I don't get that. P.T. O'Brien said this. He said, The first Adam's love for his wife as one flesh with himself, and the last Adam's, Jesus' love for his own bride, his body, serves Paul's pastoral purpose of providing a model for Christian marriage. Theologically, Paul's argument does not move from human marriage to Christ and the church. Rather, Christ and the church in a loving relationship is the model for the Christian husband and wife. And as he created this institution, long before we were married, there is this institution called Christ and the church. And it was that model Christ and the church that became for us that's where we get marriage from we don't get this idea of Christ and the church from marriage we get marriage from the idea of Christ and the church you're you're a fruit of that your marriage is a fruit of that it is a profound mystery Paul says that in verse 32 he says this mystery is profound this mystery of the two becoming one flesh, the mystery of a father and, and mother being left and the husband and wife holding fast to one another. This mystery is profound. And as he's talking about this mystery of marriage, he's saying, but I'm referring to Christ and the church. This, this means that our marriages play a significant and eternal role in fulfilling the purposes and plan of God. In, in Ephesians 1.10, Paul, Paul is saying, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then in verse 22 of chapter 1, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The, the purpose and plan of God has always been to unite all things under Christ. That is, that is what the final day will be looking like. That's what we're living for is that final moment when Christ unites all things to himself, when his church, his bride is finally and eternally united to him. And it is that, it is that view that informs our marriage and that God uses that as the template when he says here, we're being united as husband and wife. I mean, that God uses our marriages to display the gospel really is a mystery to me. It's a great mystery. Why, why would he use us? Why would he use me? There are times I know my marriage is not a picture of the gospel. There, there are. And I know Marilyn would confirm that. But I also know this, that the gospel is greater than my failures and do not deter the plans of God. And God is pleased to use my marriage. What does the gospel tell me about my marriage? It tells me that God created my marriage and that the person I'm married to is the one person that God designed for me. That's what the gospel tells me. Just as God 
designed the church to be Christ. He created the church to be Christ. He created my spouse for me. He created your spouse for you. And in his sovereignty, like I said, we do not marry the wrong person. We marry the person God intended us to marry. The gospel tells me that I can be united as a husband to my wife in the same way Christ is united to the church. I can be united. There doesn't have to be this division and separation. It doesn't have to be the way the Ephesian church used to be before coming to Christ where marriages were not united. The gospel tells me that I can love my wife like Jesus loves me. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's what, that's what the gospel tells me. I can love Marilyn like Christ loves me. It tells me that And it tells my wife that she can willingly submit to her husband by looking to Christ in the way he submits to the Father and by looking at the church in the way it submits to Christ. In verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It tells me that when I'm struggling to be the husband God commands me to be, I can be confident that God is at work in me. Look at verse 26. Paul writes that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And this is about Christ. Now it's not about husbands and wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he can present the church to himself in splendor without wrinkles, spot, or, or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. God is working in me. He is sanctifying me. He's sanctifying you. He's sanctifying your marriage. God is at work in your marriage. That conflict you had last night, or the conflict you had this morning on the way to the Sunday meeting, Which is an amazing thing because I, it seems like the car is like this conflict zone on a Sunday morning. I mean, you're getting in the car, you're happy, you close the doors, you just look at one another, something, it's like something invades and you get to the meeting, let's go worship God. (laughs) You can go worship God. (laughs) God is at work in that. And God didn't create the conflict, but God redeems the conflict. God has ordained that you be sanctified. He has ordained that you grow into a relationship with him that is deeper and deeper, and he's done that through Christ, and he's made it possible through the good news of the gospel. You are not a slave to sin anymore. You don't have to live the way you used to live. Husbands don't have to live as dominating ogres. Wives don't have to live as un disrespectful nags, whatever. I mean, you don't have to live those ways. 
that was pre-Christ. Change is possible. Now, the process of change is not always a happy one. But God, Christ is sanctifying his church. He is sanctifying us. The gospel also tells me that I have a future hope that rests in Christ. That one day he'll present his sanctified church to himself as his bride. Look at verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That he, she might be holy and without blemish. Paul's talking about us, his church. That's our future. That's our hope. Now, and this idea of being presented as a bride, I think, I think women jump on that right away. But guys, they don't quite get that. This idea of being a bride is not a guy thing. You know, I, I mean, there aren't any guys in here watching Say Yes to the Dress, right? I mean, there's this... <laughs> But my girls and my wife, prior to my girls getting married, yes to the dress was like, so I'd walk in and it's like, people don't really do this, do they? Oh yeah, they do. And so this idea of being a bride is, is hard for guys. I don't want to think of myself as a bride. But I do want to think of myself as someone who's owned by Christ. And I do want to think of myself as one who will stand in, as the church, in the church, as one who is spotless and without wrinkle and without blemish, that one day I'll be presented to Christ. And I think God will, in his kindness, help me get my mind around the bride thing eventually. Hopefully not too much, but eventually. The gospel. The gospel tells me that God is at work in my marriage, doing all these things, changing me. The gospel also tells me that my marriage can change. We live in an incredibly sinful world, one that does all it can to distort, if not destroy, the very things that God calls good. And so I think the first thing that we, three things I want to talk about how the gospel helps me, tells me my marriage can change is things that we need to do is the first thing is to guard the good deposit of the truth about marriage. Guard the good deposit. God's order for our homes is perfect and wise and good. But these truths anger our culture and our culture chafes under this divine authority. Biblical truth is under assault. What the Bible calls marriage, the culture calls slavery. What the Bible calls right in biblical roles, the, the culture says is archaic. And what's under assault here is not 
so much the institution of marriage, although it is on a secondary level. What's really under assault here is the veracity of God's Word. The Bible is under assault. The truth of Scripture is under assault. For the Bible to say, wives submit to your husbands, gets some women gnashing their teeth. Say that on a talk show. And people will go ballistic. We have to guard the truth about marriage. We have to guard God's word and what it says. And we do that by conducting our marriages, by fulfilling and being obedient and trusting in God's word for what he says about our marriages. That wives can submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Thankfully, I mean, Paul doesn't say, wives, submit to your own husbands. Stop. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Christ is in the midst of this. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is himself its savior. So as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We have to guard the truth. We have to be guardians by faithfully trusting and obeying Scripture. Secondly, wives, you need to fulfill the role God has called you to fulfill. Now here I am, a guy standing up here telling you to do this. And the same, the, the same comments, the same feelings. I mean, it was interesting when the Supreme Court ruled that Hobby Lobby did not have to compromise its religious beliefs. And they ruled in favor of not having to provide a, abortion medicine, whatever it is that they use, um, the cry was, how could five, why should we let five men rule in the wives of women? And the same thought can be here. We have a guy writing this. It's archaic. But if you read the writings of Paul, and you, you read through the New Testament, you see that, that Jesus Christ has done more to care for and serve and free women than anyone in human history. If you had been in the Ephesian church as a woman, it would be a day of rejoicing for you because you would have known very clearly what you had come out of. And these words, as Paul wrote them and as the pastor sat around and read this to the Ephesian church, think about the wives sitting there hearing this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And these wives are thinking, this is so refreshing. I have been, I've been a thing to my husband prior to coming to Christ. I've been a possession. I have been abused. I have been ignored. I have been betrayed. And now she hears, oh yeah, I, this, I can do this. This is freeing. This is in Christ. Because then she knows 
that he's going on to husbands, love your wives. There's, there's, there's new hope. There's fresh hope in this passage. God has established a divine order for us long before he ever created the world. Authority, leadership roles, submission have always existed in the Trinity and they've always existed in the church. And now they're to exist in the home, as Paul writes. Jesus submits to the Father. The church submits to Christ. Children submit to their parents. Employees submit to their employers. Soldiers submit to those who are their superiors. And wives are to submit to their husbands. Submission is possible because all have equal dignity. Submission is desirable because it's done as to the Lord. There's a divine purpose for this. God is restoring to his church what was destroyed by Adam and Eve. Divine order is meant to be a blessing from God, not a burden. And the church's submission to Christ is now presented as this beautiful model of the wife's submission to her husband. What an honor, excuse me, what an honor this brings to God when our marriages live with divine order. And then thirdly, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. This, as hard as it is for wives to think about submission sometimes, especially to a person who may not be, it may not be easy to submit to. Guys, as I read this, I just think this is impossible. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, that, that's a moment in history that can never be repeated. The cross of Christ was where this all came to pass. Jesus gave himself up for the church because he loved the church. He died. And now Paul tells me that I need to do this in a similar way. But what is impossible for man is possible with God. Now look, in verse 26 and 27, just by a side note, verse 26 and 27 where Paul writes that Jesus gave himself up for the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. Uh, that's, he, Paul's describing what sacrificial love looks like. He's not describing how husbands are to treat their wives or to relate to their wives. He's not telling husbands, you have to sanctify your wife. Only Christ can sanctify us. Only Christ can do the sanctifying work. Read the passage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then Paul goes on to describe what Christ has done and is doing. He's not talking about husbands sanctifying their wives because he continues his thought for husbands a little bit further down in verse 28. In the same way, in the same way that Christ died for the church, in the same way that Christ cares for the church by sanctifying, in the same way Christ protects his church and serves his church. That's how we're to serve our wives, husbands. I've heard, I've heard husbands say, now I need to sanctify my wife. No, you don't. Christ needs to sanctify your wife. 
And He will. He's using your sacrificial love, your model of Christ loving the church, your giving yourself up for your wife, your caring for her. And as he goes on, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, as Christ loves the body of Christ, he's the head, we're the body. As Christ loves the body, we're to love our wives. And, I, I, and, I, and I've seen this passage actually wrongly applied by husbands to wives that they're, they're, they would never think of themselves as dominating, but they're, they're in a sense slamming their wives with the Bible to get them to change. And that's not what Paul is after here. Now, yeah, we have a responsibility as husbands to lead our wives spiritually to to bring to bear the truth of God's word so that they can draw near to God and they can experience the life transforming power of the gospel in their lives but there's only one who can sanctify and that's Christ himself now a practical perspective verse 28 we're to love our wives as our own bodies. That's, that's a helpful description because I can see myself, yeah, I can protect my wife. I can never leave my wife. Christ never leaves the church. I can sacrifice for my wife as Christ sacrifices for the church. I can give myself up for my wife as Christ gave himself up for the church. I can love my wife in a way that makes it easy for her to submit to my leadership. In verse 29, Paul extends this analogy, extends this practical example. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. That is so true. I do nourish and cherish my body. I did it last night. There, I went to the fair across the street to get a soft serve ice cream cone. That was nourishing and cherishing my body last night. I wanted ice cream, and so I cared for my body. And just think, think about how people, I mean, God, we're we're so quick to care for our body. We're so quick to protect ourselves. Stub your toe and watch. Watch somebody stub their toe. They just grab their toe. Oh, how are you doing? I'm so sorry. You're really hurting. Here, let me nourish you and cherish you. You know, we could spend another six months in this passage, in this passage alone, and not exhaust the spiritual and practical truths Paul places before us. But you know what? There are many wonderful books that you can read. There are seminars you can listen to that will strengthen and enhance your marriage. And you should do that. You should, as a husband and wife, let me encourage you to regularly read material that can enhance your marriage. That's important. But today my purpose is to mostly focus our attention on the transforming power of the gospel for our marriages. And looking at the example that we've been given by Paul, Christ's love for the church. His ongoing love for the church. 
his ongoing care, his ongoing sanctifying love for the church. That's the first thing that every marriage needs to know about. The first thing that the gospel tells them about their marriage. God is at work and you can change. But application is still important for us today. Because we want our marriages to illustrate the love of Christ for the church. Two applications that I think will help us to appropriate this wonderful gospel and its power in our marriages. The first thing is what we studied last week, actually, in chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul, as we talked about last week, the filling of the Spirit is, is, is there. It is it is strategically placed there prior to this whole section on practical living in regards to marriage. Submitting to one another. Submitting as wives to husbands. And then on in, in chapter 6 about children submitting to parents and slaves submitting to, to masters and what, what that means. Being filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And Paul gives us this, that we do that through addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We do that through singing and making melody to the Lord in our heart. We do that by giving thanks for everything to God the Father. God is the one who will fill us. But first, be filled with the Spirit. And secondly, we can see this verse in chapter, section in chapter 5 on husbands and wives come alive as we posture ourselves. Remember last week I talked about posture, how important posture is to the golf swing. You can't, if you have a bad posture in a golf swing, you just have a bad golf swing. There's no doubt about it. I don't care how well you hit the ball, you still have a bad golf swing. Posture is everything, and posture is everything for us here. And Philippians 2 informs us what that posture looks like. It says in verse 1 of chapter 2, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count quality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to posture ourselves by trusting God's word and being of the same mind. We need to posture ourselves with humility. We need to posture ourselves through sacrifice like, like 
Jesus did here. We need to posture ourselves with submission to God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He submitted himself to the plan of God. We need to posture ourselves in obedience. He became obedient to death on a cross. I've been a pastor for 31 years. I've seen what strong marriages can do for a local church. I've seen what weak marriages can do to a local church. Now, first and foremost, we want godly, strong marriages because we want to display and illustrate the love that Christ has for his church. But secondly, we want to do it in such a way, in such a manner that we do serve our spouses. And thirdly, we want to do it because we want Grace Church to be what God has called us to be. And so this Ephesians 5 passage, this wonderful seminar that Paul gives us on marriage, it needs to be who we are as a church. Brothers and sisters, if your marriages are struggling, don't hide it. Tell somebody at Grace Church. Tell a close friend. Tell me. Let's get together. Let's help you. Let's walk through this together as friends. Let's be the transparent church that we need to be for the glory of God for the furthering of the gospel, for the good of the people here at Grace Church.